Let's thank God. Dear Lord, thank you very much for your word. Thank you for the things that we have to contemplate in you and in your kingdom. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Now, this is something that, that trickles out of me thinking too much. Trickles out of thoughts that I've been laboring over personally and having discussions with others regarding uh, Drew and I and Black Kenny and uh, Khan and various others who have been pursuing certain elements of life, trying to understand certain things. And Drew said something the other day um, about God's power really only being available because in the now because there isn't any other place for it to do anything and so when we misapprehend that the when we misapprehend the now the immediate the moment don't husband it entirely like we should we uh, We miss the possibility of God's power. We try to implement God's power in the past, implement God's power in the future, but those things aren't there. I have these couple of verses here at the top of the left-hand side, just things that were, these are, we're looking at a, a few passages, James, Matthew, and Philippians. Um, and, and I want you to see the effect that what you think about and how you choose to think is manifestly important to you able, being able to be godly, not be right. The idea is not that we have a bunch of people who are all philosophically minded and who only take a certain idea and can argue it against somebody who holds a contrary idea and always win the argument. No, this is for godliness. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says... For he says at the acceptable time I have listened to you and helped you on the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And the Matthew 10 right under it, and preach as you go, this is Christ speaking, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now those are just both regarding some other thing, whether it's the salvific message, or the announcement of the Christ and the kingdom uh, being there. But elements that, that you realize how important it is in those two subjects to think of the moment you're in as the acceptable moment, at the moment that is at hand. I was looking up the word now in the Bible and seeing how it was used in a variety of ways it slips into our language very very uh, comfortably uh, to, to do various things but I looked up the Greek word noon I guess it is I don't know if our noon comes from it but it double, it, it, that's how it's pronounced um, and one of the translations is actually you ever hear that little um, uh, Ian Wilson, Graham's son, 
Actually, Grandfather, you're wrong and I'm right. Little Wilson um, qualities there, but actually, Grandfather, and you don't want him to turn into one of those people, and it becomes a, a, a humorous, neck-bearded thing to say, right? It, you, you live in your parents' basement, you're 35, and you keep shoving your glasses up under your face, and you go, well, actually, what is actually? It's, again, I labor over these things because I have a bathtub. I labor over these things because I have friends who will come over and talk to me about them. But actually means that, that, that which is. That which is. Now, when Christ or the apostle, not the apostle James, the Lord's brother, here in chapter 4 of James, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and get gain. Whereas you do not know about tomorrow, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and we shall do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is said. I mean, this huge warning hung over how you conceive of your tomorrows. How you conceive of your tomorrows. Because I want to suggest to you that an inadequate uh, attention to the now strips you of all sorts of experiences of God's actual power in your life because it is where things actually happen. It doesn't actually happen in any way in your past. It doesn't actually happen anyway in your future. Eventually, they will become now. At one point, they were now, but they aren't anymore. So my mind in those things, to one degree or another, we're really not talking about an on-off switch. We're talking about a gradient of attention. How much attention, what percentage of your thought is in the past or the future? Do you find yourselves in conversations, I, that I've noticed this about myself, I could watch it happen. As I was starting to think about this idea, and I was watching myself do it. Where you're talking to someone and the conversation is going on in the now and it's moving forward and there's essentially like a wave you're surfing. You're on the edge of this thing and you're going through it with them. Words going back and forth with meaning. But you also have a collection of poses and circumstances and things they said that you're remembering for the, from the immediate past. You're really, your sense of right now is you're cobbling together, naturally, a bunch of immediate past images to add to your sensation that's right on the edge of what's happening. There's the thing that's right now. It's just coming into your eyes right now. It just happened. And then there's a collection of people sitting in these pews since the sermon started. And that's how you build your reality. But some people find themselves thinking a lot about those immediate pasts, holding on to that. And they lose touch with what's happening now. They lose the ability to surf adequately in the now because they're thinking about what they just said. What did he say to me? What did he say to me? Other people 
not blaming people, people who are, you know, the bitter personalities, it's the past. Other people, it's fears for the future or hopes for the future. They think they're the almighty God and a reformed almighty God. They think they can decree everything that will happen in their year. We had a guy 40 years ago, lived with us, almost 40, disappeared one day because he's lost his, kind of lost his marbles. Went up to his room, he wasn't there. A note on his dresser said, gone. He'd been gone for three days. <laughs> Never came back. Um, but he had had his schedule for the semester down to 15 minute increments for the whole semester. That he could not let go of his control. He thought he was a divine sovereign God guiding his future story. The now is in a very, uh, the now as an idea, I want to suggest to you for the Christian is a very important concept. That's where we do what we do as Christians. It's where the power of God is. My relationship to the future, I can have one. I can say, if the Lord wills, I will do thus and such. But what is that? What, what humility is that? Because as soon as I say, as if the Lord wills, I am including a whole other set of forces in the possibility of the thing happening. But people who are dependent upon a future, who are dependent on a future happening, they want to make sure that nothing else but their plan happens. And life is ruined. Their spirituality is ruined if it doesn't turn out. Some people pack the ice chest for the day at the beach, knowing you'll make some plans for tomorrow, today, and that's the today responsibility. But you know that tomorrow's trip to the beach isn't your responsibility because you have no control over that. Remember the parable of the rich fool? I'll build bigger barns. He says, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And just you say, well, is he going to kill me? No, it just might rain. It just might rain. And if you think you have control of tomorrow, or you ought to have control of tomorrow, that you, you pack the ice chest today, and tomorrow had better turn out. <laughs> I want you to think of what percentage of your thinking is not functioning right now. It's functioning, trying to function, or has ideas about, claims about the past or the future. If I don't give another the authority over it, whether God forgive us for the past. Remember, you can't hold on to other people's guilt or your own guilt in the past. You get forgiveness for God for your guilt, and you have to forgive them for their guilt. You just got to let it go. So the, the past is of no value to you. You know, you just, just got to let it, let it, let it, let it be. And the future, you have to say, God willing. But when a person says, no, I'm not going to say God willing, and no, I'm not going to, I can forgive, but I can never forget. Which means they can never forgive. They will hold on to it. This is why it says, we boast in our arrogance. We actually think that tomorrow has an actuality. Okay? Okay. 
And that's why I keep using that word, actually. There isn't. Now, you've, you've heard rumors on the street about my, you know, philosophies about the existence of time. That's why I don't believe that there is, is even a tomorrow. Okay? But say you're of a more reformed disposition, a Calvinist, and you say, well, I think I was a little nuts. I think it's all decreed. Okay, fine. You're in the same boat with me. You cannot claim tomorrow because God claimed it. If you're reformed, God claimed it. If you're Evan, it isn't there. Okay? Either way, you're out of a job. You're out of a job. You can't take away God's sovereignty from him, and you can't create a place where future things can occur because there is no such thing as the future. But we have to get to this place. There's this place that our minds need to be because not only do my thoughts need to be in the now, if my thoughts aren't in the now, I'm going to start to have feelings. Have you ever been to a movie where you kind of cried? I, I wouldn't have. But say maybe you cried because of the sadness on the screen. And you know to yourself, this isn't real. This is completely fictional. I'm having a good cry because of fictional, you know, tragedy. We do that for entertainment. The problem is when we start to have to go into places where we cannot have the actual past nor the actual future, we start having to write narratives in our head which are not actual, but just like a book or a movie I go to, I start to feel the actuality. You ever have a girlfriend or a spouse say, well, I dreamed that you did X, Y, or Z. I can't believe that you did that. <laughs> but you dreamed it. You dreamed it. Ever dreamed that, ladies? I mean, you might. Uh, it always seems to be the, the chick. You dreamed that your husband, you know, tripped you on the way to the mall or something like that. Now, it was a dream. You admit that. But you wake up, kind of ticked at him. What's wrong with you women? It's a story. You felt something and you actually brought the feeling into the now, into the actual. It doesn't just, it's not just lazy thought. You know, I like uh, critical thinking. It's not just lazy thought. It doesn't say I should have my thoughts largely in the now. Christ recommends it. The apostles recommend it. But it's also about how I perform as a saint. How I am feeling the feelings I ought to have. The more accurate my measure of the actual, the more um, present it is to me, the more my feelings are the real, the real expression of God's power in me. But it says, the Holy Spirit's gifts are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Those are all available to you only in the place, the only place they can be available, which is now. You're not getting love, joy, and peace for tomorrow. 
You're getting love, joy, and peace sitting here in church for the people you know, looking across at other pews. That's where your love, joy, and peace, and it's the only place that love, joy, and peace can be. Just like it's the only place that some other power is, like electricity or gravity. They don't exist in the yesterday. They don't exist in the par tomorrow. They only exist right now. You are only stuck to the ground right now. Your tomorrow self that you're imagining is not stuck to the ground. There is no gravity tomorrow. There is no, there is no power of God to love, rejoice, be patient, etc. that is existent in these time frames that you have imaginations about. But those false things can come in and take away your attention from people that you should be loving right now. I can attend to the power of God in the now if I'm in the now. Now it says here in Matthew 6, this is the Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? It's a massively quotable passage. Um, I want it on your refrigerator. Which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? You know why? You can't touch tomorrow. Never can. Anxiety is just you feeling something about the fears of tomorrow that is inordinate. Just like the, the boasting back in James, when I think I can just make plans like I were the, you know, the sovereign God, some people, they look at tomorrow, you know, moms of four-year-olds. It's like, what, what wrong can happen? Well, every wrong. Well, have you heard of coronavirus? Oh, yes, I have. You, you, you probably heard Madison cough at some point during the... Um, and everybody goes, uh-huh, okay, is it, is it descending on North Idaho in Madison? I don't think so. I think she's just normal sick. We, we can worry about all sorts of things. We can be anxious about anything. But she, can you, are you, have, did you accomplish anything? What was that joke that someone told me on my porch a few, maybe a couple years ago? That how they really believed in worry. Worry was really powerful because, you know, 99% of the things I worry about never happen. Ah, yeah, that's, there's proof there. 99% of the things you worry about never happens, but it must have worked. But you can't. The Lord said, our God, the maker of heaven and earth, said, you can't do anything with your anxiety. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of men of little faith? Therefore, do not, do not, 
be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now, notice all those things are really valid. I don't want you showing up at church naked. I don't want you showing up at church ill-fed. Um, thirsty? You've got to tend to these things. Eight glasses of water a day, they say. For the Gentiles seek all these things. Oh, those Gentiles. But look at this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. We're not arguing about whether or not tomorrow is going to happen and whether you're going to need a salad, need a drink, need some clothes to put on. You will. God knows it. The Gentiles know it. Everyone knows it. You're just not supposed to be writing narratives about it because once I write narratives about it, I lay claim to its control. I have an A-type personality. You know, or if I'm a, a melancholy personality, this is one more place for me to be hurt. So I'm expecting and fearing tomorrow. Some people, it's anticipation and desire and, and intentions. Other people, it's, oh my gosh. It's not yours to deal with that way. It is there. It will be. It suffices to make things happen. You go to work and you accomplish things. You pay your bills. You buy your pants. You put them on. Simple. The Lord knows you have a need of all these things. But your responsibility is what? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be yours as well. Okay? You're forbidden to worry about it. You may admit that they're necessary. And God's path to them is for you to think first about his kingdom. But we eat up all of our time. We have to find the right measure. It's, it's, it's not easy. You'll find that this is a difficult uh, a mental exercise to not be thinking of tomorrow things. So, you know, some people, you know, crises who have issues or in counseling or whatever else like that is because of past things. Most of us are dealing with com tomorrow's coming. Finals are coming. Um, uh, taxes are coming. Whatever, they, whatever it is, yeah, we got something coming. What is our attitude towards it? Do you have a philosophy of tomorrow? I don't care what your view of time is. Do you have a philosophy to obey the Lord on these instructions when, when you address these things? I may not be anxious about them. I may not try to be writing the plot of my life because I do not. It's the Lord's will that steps in. That just changes everything. I mean, what if you had a book? You had a book that was printed and it was a real, supposed to be a really exciting book, great story. But as it was, it was happening, you'd glance ahead some of the pages from where you were reading, and you could see the type swimming around trying to decide what it was going to turn out like. That some other, it, it wasn't done yet. You know what's going to happen. You're going to read to the end of the book. It bothers you a little bit that they haven't figured out 
what it's going to be. Have you heard of movies that have a test showing and the, nobody liked how the movie turned out? And they go back and re-edit it into a romantic comedy. It was a drama, espionage thriller, and now it's a romantic comedy. Because nobody liked it. Say, hold it, what? you can't do that. We have this feeling about the stories written that we don't want another will stepping in, like God's going, if I will, you can do thus and such. If I permit, you can do thus and such. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Now that is our God, Jesus Christ. Saying that, I recommend that you do it. I don't recommend that you hold my views to do it. I recommend that you do it. You accomplish that. You could have very, you know, advanced Presbyterian views about the nature of time and, you know, the cosmos. You could have odd ones like mine. Fine. But you've got to do this. You may not deal with tomorrow. Even if you believe tomorrow is there in some sort of dimensional theory that involves you doing exactly the thing that ends up breaking your leg. Even if you believe that's there and can't be avoided. You may not be anxious about it. That's just our Lord. Now, I had some passages here on the left-hand side, just an earlier part of Matthew 6, of, uh, in the sermon, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's an earlier part where just reading through them, with this, with this came a little bit later in the chapter, uh, the bit about anxiety and, and tomorrow. And look what it says in Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's one of the reasons I put the Matthew 10 passage in. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're not just looking at heaven as pie in the sky by and by. The life hereafter, whereas a, you might say a distant positive future that cannot be changed, well and good, that's there, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You are dealing with a treasure in heaven that is accomplished. It's not just treasures in heaven that you were rewarded for later. That may be also true, but you have treasures now. Whatever the case, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. What's the nature of your thought patterns? If you t- This is really hard to deal with heaven. I feel so... Like, I need to be responsible. Because people hide their disobedience to Jesus Christ under all sorts of words. There are ways you can plan and be responsible without disobeying this passage. But if I care most about Jesus Christ, if I care most about obedience, if, where my, if I treasure his approval, which is calling me to love and to rejoice with the saints and be at peace and I'm not loving and I'm not rejoicing and I'm not at peace then I think my heart isn't in it I don't actually treasure that I've probably got some hidden treasures 
They're about you planning your life, you having a career set up, or you making resolutions, or whatever they are. Whatever kind of things you mess with, not now. But not now is what you're responsible for. Now is where the power of God sits. Because your love has no other place in the world. But now. That's it. Your love has no other place in the world but now. Joy has no other place in the world but now. Peace has no other place in the world but now. If you want, if you want these things, you've got to retool how you think about your universe. The next line says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. If you think, and I think too much, I'm not an apologist, but I am a, I like think. I think our motto, as I've told you before at the house, is it's the thought that counts. If you think that actuality is from five years ago to 15 years in the future with the kind of the light beam right now, the, the projection right now, if you think that is what's going on, how great is the darkness? Those are not yours. That would be a mistake. You don't have that. That is an arrogance, it said in James. It's boasting. You don't get control. So if you think that you do, I'm just saying that the darkness in you is a great tragedy. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one, love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now I was just looking at these with each of the, where your treasure is, for the light in you is darkness. You cannot serve God and mammon. We think we can serve our Christ and ourselves. And Christ says, no, I know what you need. The Gentiles serve themselves, yes. You should be serving the kingdom, knowing that your Heavenly Father knows you need to put pants on in the morning. And your Heavenly Father, knowing that you need to put pants on, and knowing that you need food, and knowing that he's, will give good gifts to you. He knows how to do that. We need to show that we consider him to be God and not mammon to be God. Him to be God and not your future plans to be God. Him to be God and not your story that you've written for yourself to be God. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything. But in everything, in, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we know, it's from the Matthew passage, that he knows what you need. And we also know from the Philippians passage, he'd like to hear from you what you know you need. You make your needs known to God. You're on your knees saying, I am so committed to the now, and the love in the now, the joy in the now, the peace in the now, 
that tomorrow's anxieties, the temptation to be anxious, which I may not obey, I, I, I need to reject it, be anxious over nothing. I have to have a path. It's not just get sort of Zen and Buddhist about your Christianity. It is uh, recognizing who your God is, that he is beloved, uh, holds you in, um, in some sort of care and is benevolent to you. And he also wants to hear from you. You're able to say, Lord, this is something that I know that I can't touch. I want to give it to you. And I want to thank you. I've got a job here to love some people. I've got a job here to be rejoicing with some people. This is a temptation. About a week from now, I'm going to be facing X. Would you, would you take that on? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It says in the next verse, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Again, I was looking at, you know, I've been in these passages a lot because they're favorite passages of everybody. Um, you can approach these from all sorts of different angles. This was on my mind, and I was thinking about the actual and the now, and, and it, it coming home to me kind of like a, some sort of, you know, epiphany. That this is the only, this is the true. I can say propositional things about the past. I can make conceptual claims about it or the future but not actual one. And how suddenly the people in front of me start to come into focus when I give up the people I have imagined for tomorrow. Or the circumstances, or the conversations. The one I'm having now means something. The person I'm looking at now, I can love. They start to solidify like a reality would. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Have a ordinate attention to the actual. Know what's going on. Know what people are saying in front of you. We sometimes don't I remember Daniel Patchen coming up with the notion, you know, the greatest compliment you could pay anybody is paying them attention, attending to what they say, and how much we don't. How much we don't. And there's a degree of inattention to things that are vastly important to the kingdom of heaven. God wants us to love one another. Remember, we're a church that is not legalistic at all, right? You can dye your hair blue all you want. Get a tattoo. God bless you. Hope it's good graphics. We believe in the new covenant, which loving your neighbor as yourself and loving the Lord your God are the greatest commandments, and they fulfill everything else. You do not wrong your neighbor if you love your neighbor. If I am not even focusing enough on my neighbor because I'm telling myself little stories about my past or telling myself little stories about my future in which no love can actually function, where 70 to 80% of my mind frame is in those places where no Christianity can be lived,
how do I expect to adjust to it? You know, one of the things you also realize, this won't make you loving. This is, this is just a kind of a, a mental exercise for Christians. You know, am I even thinking in the right categories here? And put you in the, let's say everybody went home and said, you know, we're all existentially now, we're that kind of church, and we even get the new sign changed out front. All souls existentialist Christian church. Wouldn't make us obedient, but we would sure know we were disobedient. Because if you're in that now, and if you're facing the person in the other pew, or the person you're talking to or not talking to, or the persons you work with in the now that have an actual relationship with you and they're wondering if they'll ever be loved by you, but you don't have time for that because you're writing a dang story for tomorrow. You're worried about what's going to happen. You're anxious about what's going to happen. You've got, you got a kingdom of heaven at hand to deal with. So it's going to take you thinking about things that you can actually benefit from. How many chapters, remember when you were an adolescent? I, I mean, I overtly wrote self-aggrandizing, uh, self-worshipping, wish-fulfillment fantasy um, in journals where I'd write stories of quite heroic stature. Okay, I was quite the something. Though, I'll share this with you since Leslie is not present. In high school, I had a journal, because I was required to have a journal. I was not that gay. Um, but it, I would write these stories and illustrate them, because I'm an artist. And in one of those stories, after I had found out, and this is in Michigan, that my family was moving to Idaho, I wrote a story in which I featured as the hero, in which, tragic hero, my wife died. And part of the scene was me burying her in the yard of this big, many-gabled, Tudor half-timbered house surrounded by pine trees. 1970. It's kind of prophetic. It's a little weird. But I'm, uh, in the picture, I drew a picture of it. In the picture, I'm standing on the lawn by a mound of dirt, and I'm holding a shovel. I have a cape on <laughs> and a top hat. It's 1970. Come on. We're cool. We were cool. Those are all sort of uh, burying the wife in the yard. But the house was a prophecy. Is there something? Well, you, you know perfectly well you wrote stories about how it was going to turn out for you, and it didn't. Wasted hours trying to work some magic of the future. Having a plan is no magic. Remember the rich fool? Having a plan for bigger barns, it's the most responsible plan you can have. I'm going to expand my business. That's a good plan. Except you're dead tomorrow. Because you have no control of it. And when you function like you do, when you feel like you do, it starts to occupy your efforts as if you were working some magic on it. 
And all you were doing was being anxious, worrying, and trying to add a cubit to your span of life, and it wasn't working. It's arrogance. Because of this conceit, the mist that we are, the fog, it really doesn't have all that. But it has, a, it, has, it has an awful lot of really actual being in the actual now. God can love you now, you can love others now, you can function as a will in the now and only in the now. You've got no other place to be. You can't go anywhere else. You, all you can do is grab photos, you know, some sort of chemical reaction or digital reaction to what had happened and, and shuffle through them like you were recapturing something, you got nothing. You can't travel in time. You can only just be actually here. This is where you have every bit of your power to everything that we are given. We have work to do. We have uh, his work to do. He said, be rich towards uh, the kingdom. Um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Try not to control or look at the past and the future as controlling things, either controlling you or being controlled by you. Be thinking about the things that are good and true and actual right now, and it will start to build the strength of your Christian moral fiber. Because your love, actually lived, will make you good. You will become beloved by all, because they, even if they haven't heard this sermon, are trapped in the now with you and you're loving them and doing good to them. And they're going to wonder, what, what's so different about him? Well, you know, the only thing any of us have is right now and I decided I would obey Jesus Christ right now. That's what we have. Today's own trouble is sufficient for it. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful that you gave us right now. Lord, as we try to handle these uh, expectations of your son and in your inspired uh, writers in the scriptures, we'd ask that you would give us a real reward in it, that your benevolence to us, the peace that we get, the activity of your fruit through your spirit, would be seen in us because it can be seen in the place that is. Thank you. You've been very good. In your son's name. Amen.